Good morning. Welcome to New Hope. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Have you ever found yourself in a place in life where you're kind of asking the question, why, why am I here? Why? I grew up being uh, in the outdoors, camping and boating and kite flying and all that sort of thing. So I love to be outside. Uh, anything outside kind of feels like a sacred activity to me. One of the things that I love to do outside is go backpacking. Backpacking is when you do sort of a multi-day camping trip into a wilderness area somewhere. Most recently, I went backpacking. Uh, I did a 40-mile loop called the Timberline Trail that goes around Mount Hood. Beautiful, beautiful trail all the way around the mountain. You get to see all kinds of different incredible, incredible stuff. One of the things I don't like about backpacking, everybody's always like, oh, being outside backpacking, hiking, and everybody talks about like the glamour of it. It's not all great. I'm going to tell you that right now. One of the things that I don't like about backpacking is the walking uphill. Before you judge me, I have very short legs. I'm basically like a hobbit. I go move very slow uphill. Now, on this Timberline Trail, there's 11,000 feet of walking uphill. You can see in this graph here, that's the elevation map. So in, in hiking, the walking uphill, you call it elevation gain. There's 11,000 feet in elevation gain. For, for, for perspective, when you summit Mount Hood, there's 6,000 feet in elevation gain. So you kind of spend the whole trip going up and down and up and down and up and down. And of course, you, you know, it's beautiful and wonderful, but you certainly get to a point in every elevation push where you're like, oh, why? I'm working on a theory that when you do like a big uphill climb and backpacking, that you move through the five stages of grief as you're going uphill. You know, you kind of start with denial and then anger and then bargaining and then depression and finally acceptance. Like, <laughs> I'm doing this, I have to get up if I want to get home type of a thing. So for me, somewhere between like the anger and depression of going uphill, I start to ask myself, why? That usually happens right about here, you know? I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Maybe you have found yourself asking why at some point in your life about some particular thing. Like, why do I do this exactly? Maybe you've asked that question about church. Like, why, do I, why do I do this week after week, month after month, year after year? Why do I go to church? You know, the, the trends are very clear in our, in our culture. Church attendance is on the decline. The research coming out is saying that it's lower than at any other point in the history of, of our country. A lot of people have asked this question, why? And they've sort of not found good answers. They've been left kind of wanting as to why it is that, that we do this thing that we're doing. We're in a series right now called Together, where we're exploring the beauty and the complexities of doing life in community. So far, we've been kind of talking pretty high level, big picture about like we're made for community, and we've been talking kind of about intimate, personal, interpersonal relationships, things like vulnerability and friendship. Today, we're going to turn the corner just a little bit and start talking about what it looks like to be part of a broader community. 
And specifically, we're going to look today at what, it, what does it mean to be part of a church community that gathers week after week in order to worship? What does it mean that we worship together week after week, month after month, year after year? Now, I realize that as, as we kind of wrestle with this, talking to a bunch of people who are already at church about the importance of being at church and why it matters is like literally preaching to the choir here today. But I hope that we can kind of drop to, you know, a little bit lower beneath some of the surface answers and wrestle deeply with why it is we, we do this, this thing. I'm going to give you the answer right now. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. So in case you want to leave early, you can just get up and leave after I say this. Basically, uh, well, of course, we gather in order to honor God and worship God, but we're going to kind of set that aside this morning as sort of a given because I want to focus on the fact that we gather together in order to support each other and to orient our hearts. That's pretty much it. You can leave now if you want. Support each other and orient our hearts. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going we're gonna to explore this passage that gives some really clear answers um, about why it is that we get gather together and a really strong encouragement not to give up on it. A little bit of background. Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul, and he this, this passage occurs in a longer passage where he's really encouraging the faithful people to stay faithful. There's this long passage where he's like, don't give up, you know, stay faithful, stay strong, you can do this, you got this type of a, type of a thing. At the end of the passage that we're going to read, we're just going to read a few verses, you'll see this interesting little phrase where it says, <clears throat> as the day approaches. Many of your Bibles probably have a capital D there where it says day. That's because it's referring to this thing that's in the New Testament all over the place, this thing called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this time that is coming in the future where Jesus will return and he will rule and everything will finally be as it's supposed to be. And this is the reality that we're working toward even now as followers of Jesus. Now let's look at Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and we're going to look at verse 23. Are you ready? Well, that's depressing when you say, are you ready? And no one responds. It's just like, what am I going to do now? I mean, I guess I just stop. Hebrews 10, verse 23. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When I go backpacking, uh, I always find myself in this place where I'm asking myself why, you know, I, I think like I could be eating cookie dough right now. I could be watching Netflix. Anytime I, you go back, I'm like giving up every movie ever I could be watching. Instead, I'm walking up the side of a mountain carrying a 40-pound backpack. Like, what's wrong with me? Well, I have a little picture of one of the reasons why 
I do it. Would you like to see that? Take a look at this picture. That's uh, me, and that's my brother, Matthew, on, on the right. And this particular trip, I went around Mount Hood. I did it because of him, because of the other people that I was out there backpacking with. My brother lives in Nebraska. I don't get to see him very often. I knew that he loves to be outside also, and also knew that he has like a demanding job, a young family. He doesn't get to be outside very often. And I knew that if he had the opportunity to get outside with me and a couple other guys and explore some wilderness like that, that it would really lift his spirit, that it would encourage him, spur him on, and I knew it would do the same thing for me. So doing it together was the reason that we did it. Our passage from Hebrews, it reminds us of this sort of horizontal aspect of what we're doing here right now. Yes, we come to connect with God. We come to hear from God, this kind of vertical aspect. But there's also this horizontal aspect to worshiping together. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, right? It says, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up, right? But encourage one another. So when we worship together, we're not only speaking to and hearing from God, we're, we're also speaking to each other, like talking to each other, challenging and encouraging each other, lifting each other up. We're doing something together that we can't do on our own. You can't worship God together alone, <laughs> right? It seems almost silly to say something so simple, but it's such an important thing for us to bear in mind. Worship isn't just like just me and my own private time with, with God. It is that, but it's more. It's not just me and God. It's you and God and everybody else. You see the difference? It's such an important thing to bear in mind. It has this this vertical aspect, but it has this horizontal, communal aspect to it. As we know, there's a lot that goes on when we gather to worship together, certainly more than just singing, but I think singing together captures this in a special, remarkable way. Uh, let's illustrate that right now. I'm going to sing a little, a little refrain, and then in a minute I'll invite you to sing it with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, now let's try it together. Are you with me? You're going to have to be with me, people. Are you ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You notice the difference? A little different, isn't it? 
a little, little bit different, the way the music kind of captures the room and swells inside of us. Worshiping together, it's not a solo. We're a choir. We're a choir. When we sing together like that, we're actually submitting to one another. There's this really interesting thing, I don't know if you're aware of it, that happens when we sing together. We actually start breathing together. You aware that that's happening? We not only sing with our voices in unison, but we start to breathe together. I can see it from up here in those spots. Everybody goes, (gasps) think about that. It's remarkable. We're, bre- we're, we're kind of submitting and becoming one so much that we're breathing together. This is one of the many ways that worshiping together kind of subverts the cultural impulses of our world. We live in a world that says, go your own way, do your own thing, be your own man, be your own woman. We live in the, the world of the iPhone. It's not called the we phone. Right? We put our earbuds in and we listen to our music and we do our thing and we kind of go about our lives. Isn't it interesting that the primary way we engage music these days is individual? It's, it's alone? What we're doing here right now, coming together like this, worshiping together, reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that we're in this Together, the blending of our voices reminds us that we're blended together as one in Christ. Anything that we do that promotes that kind of unity, that spirit, is time well spent. (laughs) Life can be difficult, overwhelming at times. Can I get an amen? Yeah, life can be hard. We need each other. We need each other. The Christian faith, it was never meant to be lived out alone. It just wasn't. We come together from different backgrounds, have different perspectives, opinions, ideas. We're different ages, races, all that. And we come together as one. Allow me to put it even more starkly, a little more bluntly. I would be willing to bet there are pews in this room right now where there are Trump people and Hillary people standing shoulder to shoulder singing songs together. <laughs> that's, it's, it's weird that that's happening because that is not normal in our, in our society, is it? Do you know what I'm talking about? That is not normal stuff, you guys. It's different. It's different. The way of Jesus is is different. That's a radical act in today's culture. And it's not that we don't have honest differences and that we mute each other's differences. That's not the point. But we don't cancel each other out because of our differences. Life is not a zero-sum game. In a world full of divergent views and different truth, truth claims, we, we come together around shared truths. Truths like Jesus is Lord. There is hope in a world gone astray. Forgiveness is a real thing. We're we going to be involved in the building of God's kingdom 
on earth as it is in heaven. These are the kind of truths that we rally around together as followers of Jesus. Living these truths out day by day after we walk out of these walls can be difficult. Maybe I'm the only one, but it can be difficult. We have to be able to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Just showing up here today, you are encouraging each other. Do you realize that that's part of what's happening here right now? You over there are encouraging her over there, and you're encouraging him back there, and he's encouraging you. That's happening in the room right now. We're reminded that we're in this together. We are not alone. Your very presence is an encouragement. The other aspect of worshiping together that I want to highlight is the way that it orients our hearts as individuals and as a community. It has a way of orienting our hearts, bringing us back to our true north, almost like a a compass. Here's the thing. Whether you're inside this room right now or outside of these, it doesn't matter who you are in this world, Everybody worships something, for sure. Everybody's worshiping something. Everyone is moving toward the things that captivate their hearts, the things that they love, and the things that we love are the things that we worship. And those things begin to shape who we are. They shape our values, both as individuals and as families and as communities. The way our passage puts it is that we we spur one another on toward what kind of values? Love and good deeds. These are the values that we we come around. These are the things that we give our time and our attention to. These are the things that that shape us. They're the things that guide us through, through life. You've heard of the sinking of the Titanic, yes? Yeah. There's another uh, accident, nautical sort of shipwreck that happened that same year, but it was very much overshadowed by the Titanic because the Titanic was such a big deal. But this was also a pretty big deal. Up on the screens, you'll see a picture of the SS Monroe. And in 1914, the SS Monroe was struck out in the open ocean by another ship, the Nantucket. The Nantucket ran into the SS Monroe, and they both sank, killing 41 people. A tragic, tragic accident. If you're playing along in your head, you might be thinking like, how do two ships of that size run into each other out in the ocean? There was a whole big trial. The, the captain of the Nantucket was, was put on trial and said that, that very thing. Like, what, what happened? Like, how could this happen? You need to be held responsible for this. I mean, you were steering that ship and you ran it into another ship and 41 people are, are dead. Before there was GPS, there were these things called a compass. Do you know about a compass? Yeah? As you know, in like nautical terms, uh, a compass is the thing that helps the ship know which direction to head in, and then they plot out a path. That's a very specific path that that ship is supposed to be taking. They register it with, you know, with the, I don't know, the port or whatever, and then they're, they're going in that direction. Well, it came out during this trial that the Nantucket captain knew that his compass was off by two degrees and did nothing about it. He just kind of wung it. Now, what do you suppose happens when the thing that you're steering your ship by, the thing that you're plotting your course by, is off by two degrees? 
you smash into another ship. Because they have their own course that they're, they're headed down. After the trial, one newspaper source described a scene where the two captains of these two different ships, some of the only survivors, were seen holding on to each other and, and just weeping. Weeping. Imagine these like burly sailor dudes grabbing onto each other and just crying. 41 people, what have we done? What have we done? It's a powerful picture of what happens in life when the compass is off. Worshiping together allows us to keep the the compass of our hearts pointed in the right direction. It's such a simple idea, but it's so important, so important because it is incredibly easy for us to lose track of our true north in life. I've done it. Maybe you have as well. It's so easy to lose track. That's why Hebrews says, don't give up. Don't give up. I know it's hard. You've got to persevere. Don't give up on meeting with one another, as some are in the habit of doing. You keep getting together because you need each other. It has this crucial role to play in your life. Don't give up. Sometimes I come into worship like feeling like, I don't know if I really want to be here. I'm a little tired. Maybe I'm a little burnt out from the week before, a little discouraged. I'm sure I'm the only one who ever feels like that coming to church. (laughs) Something about the, the songs and the scripture and taking communion together, it has this way of reorienting me. Bringing me back to my true north. And I don't know about you, but I need that in life. I need that in my life. I need to be reminded of who I am and where I come from and that I am, am not alone. There's other people who are, who are on that journey with me. There's this really cool passage in Colossians chapter 3 that talks about the type of values that our, our hearts get oriented toward. We put them on almost like we put on our clothes. This is really cool image. Let me read it to you. It's in Colossians chapter 3 verse, verse 12. Listen to this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. I think this metaphor is really cool because do you put on your clothes and then leave it on? That, do you just do it one time and then just leave them on for the whole week? Or for the rest of your life? No. What do you do? You put them on every day. Every day. You put on the clothes again. Every day, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, here's that word again, put on love. Put it on again. Put it on again. Put it on again. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. One body. Here we are, a community called to this beautiful virtue of peace. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you what? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through what? Psalms and hymns and and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Can you see in this passage the way it connects putting on these virtues with worshiping together? Do you see it there? Put all this stuff on. This is the type of people that I'm calling you to be. This is what following Jesus looks like. And, and remind each other of that by getting together and singing songs and teaching one another. We're all being shaped toward something. Like a, a compass works off of a magnet. You know that? The magnetic pull of our earth. Compass works off of a magnet. We gather together like this to set our magnet as Jesus and to be pulled back to true north. Let the ways of Jesus be your true north. Jesus is the magnet that pulls our compass, the compass of our hearts in the right direction. What our hearts are like, they're like, they're like little idol factories. They're little idol factories. We take all these good things in life, all these things that are nice and good, there's nothing inherently wrong with them, and then we turn them into gods, little gods, little idols, and we make them into these ultimate, ultimate things. Maybe I'm the only one who does this. The temptation to drift from true north is, is so, it's so easy. It happens so subtly. We have to constantly kind of be on guard against it. We have this little game that we play with our, our daughters. Um, most of the things that we watch are on like Netflix or some other streaming service, but in the olden days there were these things called commercials. Do you know about commercials? <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while where we're watching like, I don't know, the Super Bowl or something and we put up the rabbit ears and, and they see commercials. When my daughters first saw commercials, they were like kind of confused. Like, what? What is this? It's like a mini show inside of a bigger show? I don't get it. So we made up a little game about commercials where we started to try and get them to think through carefully and, and to talk out loud about what is this commercial trying to make you feel? We play this little game. What is this commercial trying to make you feel? And they, I've gotten pretty good at it. They'll say things like, well, I think it's trying to get me to feel like if I have that car, I'll be really tough. If I get that truck, I'll be a really tough person. Or like, if I have that shampoo, then I'll be pretty. We have to constantly be on guard for the things around us that are inviting us into worship. These little idols that we turn into these little gods and make no mistake, we worship them. We are essentially at our core, and please catch this, we are essentially at our core feeling creatures. We are driven primarily by the things that captivate our hearts, the things that we love. And the things that we love are the things that we worship. And the things that we worship shape us. You know the expression, follow your heart? You know that one? Go ahead, just follow your heart. It'll be great. Follow your heart. Here's what I think is funny about that expression. 
we don't have to be told to follow our hearts. It's just what we do as human beings. It's just what we do. It's why the scriptures say to guard your heart. You know, be very careful about what comes out of your heart. Because at our core, we're feeling beings. And if our hearts are oriented toward the wrong things, we're going to be in trouble. Jesus himself is always saying, what do you want at your core? What motivates you? What drives you? What pushes you? What are your desires? What is the orientation of your heart? I think this is beautifully summed up by a a guy named David Foster Wallace. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you haven't. He was a famous American novelist. uh, he, He took his own life. In 2008, really tragically, he was this up-and-coming, really highly regarded novelist, and he decided to, to end it all. I'm going to read you this little quote from him, and it's kind of a long quote, but I think it's really powerful because it's not coming from someone inside the church. It's not coming from someone with like a theological agenda. He wasn't trying to preach a sermon about why you should go to church every week or why you should worship together, that type of thing. He's just a guy out there living his life, and these are the things that he observed. It was really interesting to get his perspective. So he was giving this speech to a a group of, of students graduating from college. It was like a commencement address. And he stood up in front of all these college students getting ready to go out into the world, and he said this. In the day to day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally put you in the ground. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid. A fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Isn't that remarkable? Remarkable. The orientation of our hearts happens very gradually over time, moment by moment. Decision by decision, day by day, week by week, year by year. And the pull is very strong. And so we gather. We do what we're doing right now. We gather week after week, month after month, year after year to reorient our hearts toward the ways of Jesus. I understand why people give up on church. I, I really do. 
Sometimes dealing with other church people can be difficult, at least maybe annoying. Sometimes the truths that we talk about on Sundays can be very difficult truths to believe. Sometimes we see Christians in the media or whatever and we think, I don't know about these people. Like, is this my team? I don't know. I don't know. It's flawed. There's no doubt about it. Here's the thing. Don't give up. Don't give up on it. Because I promise you, as you drift from meeting regularly regularly with a group of Christ followers, and it's not about New Hope. This isn't like, a, you got to come to New Hope every Sunday. That's not, it doesn't matter where it is, but if you give up on meeting regularly with a group of Christ followers, the orientation of your heart will drift. I promise you. I, I promise you. It's a guarantee. It's just the way our hearts work. I'm sure we all right now have names popping into our heads, people who have lived that story. Maybe your own name is popping into your head. Maybe you have lived that story. Maybe you're living that story right now. Don't give up. One of the many things that I love about being married to my wife, Mariah, is the perspective that she gives me on faith. I grew up in kind of like a <clears throat> like an evangelical sort of context, not that different from, from New Hope. And if you grew up in that subculture, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, evangelical subculture, when it comes to worship, can be pretty critical and, you know, get a little obsessed with kind of the sights and sounds of the whole deal. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes evangelicals can be almost kind of like more like connoisseurs of worship than actual worshipers, like tasting wine. They're like, oh, it's a little flat today. I don't know. Worship's, worship has maybe a little smoky taste today. I don't know. I'll try it again next week. <laughs> Evangelicals, we can be, and I say this in love, this is my community, right? We can be a little obsessed with uh, how things look and how things sound and how things feel and how kind of exciting things are. We like to get kind of whipped up and excited and passionate and yeah, you know, like I feel really good and here I go. My wife comes from a different tradition. She grew up as a Lutheran in the ELCA. Her father was a Lutheran pastor. And it's just a little different. They're not as, in that tradition, they're not quite as preoccupied with how things you know, look and sound and how exciting things are. When I was first dating my, my wife and I would go to a Lutheran service with her and of course I'm kind of like a cocky little evangelical and I'm like, I would, you know, like pretend to like, during a service I'd be like, you know, and she's like elbowing me, that type of thing. Afterwards I would say things like, oh, you know, this is kind of boring. And she'd look me right in the eye and be like, so? I'm like, oh. Yeah, so, that's kind of hard to argue with a so, right? I tried, don't, don't get me wrong, I tried to argue with it. I would say things like, oh, well, you know, if church has to be exciting, if it's not exciting, if it's not meaningful, if it's not powerful, you know, people will leave the church, or the church won't grow, or people will think God is boring, and God's not boring, we have pe people have to know God's exciting, and we don't want people to be bored when they come to church, we have to, you know, lift them up, and they go and out into the world, and yes, woo. 
And there might be something to all that. And that's a good discussion to have, right? It's a good conversation to have. Not, no one way is perfect. No one way is right about, about all things. Not by any stretch. But what I've grown to appreciate about my wife's perspective growing up as a Lutheran over the years is just the faithful commitment to worship together with a group of people week after week, month after month, year after year, whether it's exciting or boring or somewhere in between. In the Lutheran tradition, they're very, they put a very strong emphasis on doing the same thing every week. They call it their liturgy. Every week it's the same basic service over and over again. Me, as like a cocky little evangelical, I'm like, oh, that's so boring. You know, mix it up. You know, make it exciting, right? But for, for a Lutheran, they're like, no, no, no. You don't understand. This liturgy is uniquely designed to bring you back to true north. You take communion together, back to Jesus. Confession time, scripture readings, the message. It's all designed to orient the heart toward Jesus. To shape and guide the values that you live your life with. The ways of, of Jesus. It's the same thing we try and do here at New Hope, week after week. Communion brings us back to center, reminds us of who we are and who we belong to. Hear hear a message, remind us of our true north. Sing songs, back to center. Even like the announcements kind of bring us back to this truth that we're doing this together. We're in it together. We're doing things as a community. Brings us, reminds us who we are and that we're, we're not alone. That we're in it. We're in it together. I have a few more pictures uh, that sort of exemplify why it is I love being in the outdoors, why I love being backpacking. Would you like to see a, f- a few more pictures of why I do that even though I don't have to? Yes? All right. Let's I do it because I get to see things like this. <laughs> right? Beautiful mountain valley with a, with a stream flowing through it. I get to see things like a, a field of wildflowers cutting their way down into a ravine with dug firs growing up on either side. This picture is a picture I snapped on. All those pictures were pictures I took on this last trip around Mount Hood. Life is crazy and difficult, right? I love to be outdoors because it reorients my heart. It kind of, you know, life, you just, we spend so much of our lives kind of like just beneath the surface of the water, just kind of like trying to get by, right? And when I go outside, it reminds me, it allows me to kind of pull my head above the surface of the water and look around and, and, and see things with a different perspective. I look at the mountains, and the mountains are almost like talking to me, saying, oh, Paul, have you, have you forgotten what a good and beautiful world God has made? Paul, have you started to feel like you're like a big deal? Like you're, you know, a really big deal? Did you forget about me? Have you forgotten about the mountains? That's why I love being outside. It gives me a fresh perspective and reorients my heart back to important things and important truths. Reminds me of who I am and where I come from. 
Worshiping together does the same thing for us. It can reorient our hearts back to Jesus. We kind of can pull our our heads above the surface of the water and and look around, and God meets us there and speaks to, to us. God says to me, oh, Paul, did you forget what a good and beautiful world I've made? Have you started to think like you're kind of like a big deal? Did you forget about me? Don't give up on meeting together because you need these people, Paul. You need these people. Life can be difficult and overwhelming and you need to remember that you're not alone and allow yourself to be spurred on toward love and good deeds and to be encouraged. This is why we gather. This is why we worship together. Let's pray. God, I... I instantly kind of start to think, when I think about these ideas, I start to think about other people. And it very quickly takes me to to judgment. As I start to reflect on the importance of gathering together, I start to think about people who have given up on that. And I'm tempted, God, to to judge them or look down on them. Humbly, I confess that to you, God, and I ask that you would help me and help all of us to not use these ideas as a way to condescend or look down on others, but as a reminder to invite people in, to be welcoming others with open arms, whether they have been far away from you for decades or, or not. Help us not to look down, God, but to invite people in to this beautiful, complex, strange thing that we call church. And this beautiful, complex, and strange thing that we call worshiping together. Would you keep that dream alive in our hearts, God, as we go through the day-to-day and the week, week week-to-week? Would you keep the dream alive in our hearts that what we do here matters and has value and importance beyond us? We need your spirit, God, to help us do that. that. That's a big prayer. I'm just struck that we need you guiding us in that pursuit, God, and and walking with us in that. We know that you do and that you will, and we thank you for it. It's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen.